Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, for those of you who perhaps are new today or the last couple of weeks, my name's Pastor Nick, and uh, we're concluding a series today uh, that, in fact, has uh, lasted for 10 weeks. Uh, I was counting them up, and I thought it was eight, and actually, it's actually 10. Uh, so today is the last part of the series on the Last Supper, and we've been looking at John chapters 13 through to 17. Um, And uh, there's been a lot of content that we've shared. We've talked about how Jesus uh, washed his disciples' feet. We've talked about how Jesus has asked us to love each other as he has loved us. We've talked about fruitfulness from the vine. We've talked about load, burden, and sacrifice from just one verse uh, in John's gospel. We've looked at all sorts of different teachings. Uh, Kim brought us a great message on friendships, didn't she? And who remembers walking across to the boxes? That was such a powerful image for me. Uh, You know, let's take Jesus with us as, as, as our friend. Uh, and then last week we had uh, Phil Thompson with a great debut message. Let's give Phil a r- quick round of applause again. He's saying no, but it was a great message. And um, he brought us a message called Commune, Prune and Bloom. So easy to remember. Great job, Phil. Well done. And that was for Father's Day. And so today we find ourselves in the final uh, part of it. And as Paulus has indicated, we're going to be moving into uh, a new sermon series from next Sunday. Um, but I wanted to, uh, to share with you from something, something from uh, John 17. And I've got to admit to you, John 17 is a colossal chapter of the Bible. It really is. If you were going to kind of paint a picture of the, of, of the New Testament as a kind of, you know, like a, in geographical terms, the Gospels are like the Himalayas, and then John 17 is like Everest. It's massive, massive chapter. And you can spend a long time on single verses in John 17. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, and what I think is more fruitful for us today um, is to get into, there's one particular verse which I think sums up the heart of John 17, and it's John 17 uh, verse 21. Um, in, in the whole of the chapter, Jesus prays for various things. He prays, first of all, for himself. Um, then he prays for his disciples, his, his, well, what is by this time 11, not 12 anymore. He prays for the disciples. Then he prays for, effectively, for all of us. He prays for all the people who are not yet disciples, who are going to become disciples because of the words that the existing disciples are going to be sharing. And then last of all, he prays for the world. So there's kind of four parts to this massive prayer that he prays. You know, if you wanted to understand how to pray, you look at the Lord's prayer, don't you, in Matthew chapter 6. But if you want an insight into the mind of God, of how he prays in the person of Jesus, read John 17. It's very, very uh, interesting to read. Um, so we're going to look at John 17:21, which says this, May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. May they all be one. And the oneness that uh, Jesus has in mind is a oneness that comes from his connection to the Father that's so close that they are, they are one. And we can include the Holy Spirit in that as well, although the Holy Spirit has just been invited. He hasn't yet arrived and we're, you know, we get to Pentecost before he arrives. But Jesus has in mind this oneness, and he wants that same oneness for all of us. He wants all of us to be included in that oneness. And if his prayer is to be answered, or we see an answer to that prayer, it basically means that every single person in this room, every single person in church right around the world who's part of a church, who follows Jesus, is one with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We're all effectively in one unit together. We all belong to each other. It's an awesome prayer that Jesus is praying. 
Now, I've been thinking so much about this chapter in recent weeks. Uh, I've been praying through it, and I think where I want to go with this morning is I want to explore how it is that we might be the answer to Jesus' prayer. How can we, uh, we hear Jesus' prayer, we, we understand that he's wanting for us to be one, but what, what are the practical things that we can do to be that? How can we respond to that? How can we kind of put our hands up and say, Jesus, I really hear your heart on this. Um, I would like to be, I'd like to be one. I'd like to, to do my part to join that cohesive whole. What, is, what are the things you're hoping for and asking for from me that I may take some steps to be part of the one in that, in that unit? Um, now, I think being one is hard work. So, you know, there are times when it's fine and it's good and it's, it's light and it's brilliant. And, and then there are times when it's really, really difficult. We have to lay down personal agendas. We have to forgive people. We have to overlook things. We have to make some decisions that the, the one is bigger than our personal thing that we're fighting with or that we're wrestling with. And, and so I think unity is up there with, it's, 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 it's hard work. Unity is difficult. It's up there with forgiveness, in my opinion. It's one of those Great things when it's there, and oh boy, is it hard to do it when it's not there. Did you get me? I mean, I, I think it's re- unity is really difficult. You've got to have a, a sense of humility. You've got to have a willingness to lay some stuff down. You've got to, got to have a willingness to go on a journey. And you've got to have that vision for something bigger than just yourself and, and to say, no, I can see that my own thing isn't quite so important. I'm going to sacrifice for something bigger than me. Fortunately, the Bible, as ever, has a brilliant range of answers and lots and lots of help to give us. And I'm going to use John 17:21 as a bit like a springboard to jump into another chapter of the Bible that I think gives us some really, really good help in the area of working on unity. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15? Um, on our YouVersion uh, app event, uh, you will see all of the, uh, the passages that we've talked about today, including today's reading that Isaac did for us. Um, all of the passages are there, and then there's a number of headings. Now, BCC, I need you to work a little bit today. I know it's summer. I know you may be feeling drowsy. Maybe you've had a big week. I, I need you to kind of press in with me a little bit here. Do some notes. Think about what I'm saying. If you're using the Bible version app, make some notes on your phone as we go along. Um, this is, this is kind of h- hard work church. This is a sort of, let's press in, let's do some work, because I believe it will pay dividends in the long run. Come with me on a bit of a journey. Uh, So we're going to look at how the early church managed to respond to Jesus' prayer from John 17, 21. Uh, And in Acts 15, we see the first major church council that is recorded in the Bible, and it gives us, how they behave and what they do, gives us a great model for resolving personal and corporate disputes. It really does. Um, It it takes us through a journey of a dispute arising and then how they resolve that. And uh, I'm going to do a a process called exegetical preaching. Exegetical means that you get into the text, you pull some stuff out, you make a point, and then you move on to the next bit of text, and so on and so on. So it's a slight change from how I normally preach. I will normally hit you with a story, won't I? And then we'll get into some applications that, 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 are, that the, the story points to. I'm going to do it slightly differently today. We're going to hear a bit of a passage from the Bible, a little bit of text, and then I'll unpack it a bit, and we'll work through that together. Read with me from uh, Acts 15, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. 
After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. Number one, when you get yourself into a debate or an argument, make that decision to consult. Decide to consult. Make that decision to go and have a conversation. It's so key. It's absolutely critical. Paul and Barnabas are confronted by some, who, some people who bring a position or a stance from the Bible that doesn't seem right uh, to their understanding, given what's just happened with, uh, with Jesus uh, and how Jesus has come along. Um, and initially, Paul and Barnabas get into a kind of a serious argument and, and a debate, it says there. Um, now, that me, let me just give you a little history on that debate. The Jews, for hundreds of centuries, had, or had done circumcision as an outward sign of an inner set-apartness, if you like. Um, and so circumcision was something where a piece of flesh was taken away from a man's body to signify that the flesh was being cut away and laid down and in order to, to magnify and push forward the spirit in a person. That's what circumcision is designed to signify. But it's a symbol of an, it's an outward symbol of an inner state or a, or a heart attitude to God. And when Jesus comes along, that gets replaced. That whole, all of those, those ceremonies, those Jewish traditions get replaced by a relationship with Jesus by faith. And it becomes very different. Now, if you can imagine with the vast majority of those early Christians being Jewish, to turn their back on centuries of tradition would have been really hard. Um, you know, the, the notion that you can just change something in a church overnight, that's a hard deal, isn't it? Or change something in the synagogue and, and, and kind of tamper with hundreds of years of tradition, that would have been a big ask. And so it's, it's testament to the power of Jesus that so many of them jumped across and became followers of Christ. And what's happened is a group of them have said, oh, no, 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 that's not right. You still have to be circumcised. And there the debate starts. There the issue uh, arises and we have a bit of a problem. One of the signs that you need to go and consult is you get confronted by something. You might feel you need to start a debate, maybe even get into a bit of an argument. And then you pause and you say, okay, this is a little bit beyond me now. I need to go and get some wisdom. I need to go and consult. I need to have a conversation. And that's what happens. Uh, so that first point there, number one, is decide to consult. Make a decision to go and have a conversation. And I've got to say to you, so many of us as Christians struggle with this first step. Boy, is it hard to make that decision to go and have a conversation, especially if we're feeling put out. You know, if we feel that our church has gone down a direction and we just don't agree with that, boy, that's so hard. I really identify with that. I think that's really difficult in our hearts and spirits. We think, oh, is that right? Are you sure? And we wrestle with that. Um, I, I would suggest that, you know, over the last two, three years, that the vaccine and the pandemic, that's been one of those issues for so many of us, hasn't it? You know, some of us are like, oh, no, vaccine me up completely to the hill. And then some of us are like, I won't touch that vaccine with a barge pole and, you know, don't even make me go to hospital. And, and actually, the church have struggled, really. We have, haven't we? Churches up and down the world have found that really hard to know where to pitch uh, their response. 
Don't let that be an issue where you don't consult. Come and chat. Because we've actually, in, you know, here in our church, we have a very broad range of acceptance on this issue. You can have all the spectrums under the sun with regards to the vaccine, and we will not judge you for your position. We just invite you to come and talk if you've still got an issue with that. Um, you know, come and consult. That's your starting point. It's so, so important. Um, when there is an environment of consultation, ways forward can be established. You can start to understand each other. And, you know, when there's fragmentation or disunity, that can be resolved through beginning to consult. So that's number one. Number two, gather to consider. Gather to consider. Verse six there says, the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. Now, I think that that's really key to building unity, building oneness. And it's very interesting. That word consider actually means to see. You're getting a group of people who are willing to get together, and what you're saying is, we're going we're gonna to see. Uh, did you ever have that with your mum or your dad, where you'd go and ask for something, and your mum would say, well, let's see. You know? And, and you'd be like, oh, oh that kind of means you're deferring the decision. That's not, that's not really what's in view here. It's a genuine, let's see. Let's look. Let's have a look together. Um, we, we gather... Uh, we've, we've decided not to force our preconceived ideas and fixed positions down one another's throats. Um, I'm not coming here with an agenda to make you see my definitely correct position. What we're going to do is we're all going to get around the table and we're going to have a look together. Let's see. See is open-ended. See is once we've had a look and we've seen things, then we'll start to arrive at some decisions. We'll make a decision once we've seen everything. And we're doing it in community around one another. Um, something I, I just want to commend to you is we have an excellent eldership at BCC. They do a super, super job. We have nine elders, um, and at once a month we gather and we see. We look at stuff. Um, I, I messed the maths up in the first service so badly. Uh, so nine elders and one pastor, that's ten people, that's ten pairs of eyes. Yeah, I got it right. Ten pairs of eyes looking at an issue together. Okay, that has got to be better than one pair of eyes, isn't it? Or even two pairs of eyes. That's so, so helpful. That's people joining together and looking at issues. Uh, and already, I, I know I've only been kind of appointed since April, but already the, the elders are helping me see things and we're seeing things together and making good decisions uh, for the future of our church uh, as we confront various different issues. Excellent uh, help from uh, all of our elders. Thank you so much, elders. Um, number three, so number two is gather to consider. Number three is permit much debate. Have a look at what it says in verse seven there. After there had been much debate. So if we're to answer Jesus' prayer in John 17, 21, that we'll be one, just like Jesus and the Father are one, then we've got to make room for debate and discussion. And again, just need to kind of let you know that that word debate in the Greek uh, is the word zetesis, and it comes from the Greek verb to find or to search. It means to search out. Zeteo means to, to hunt down, to track it, to track something. And so when we think of a debate in our modern culture, it's a little bit kind of cut and thrust. You know, you get two different people on YouTube who've got different views and they kind of thrash it out. Yeah, there's, I guess there's, that, there's some of that in here. But really what, what the uh, Acts 15 and, and what Luke is saying in writing Acts 15 um, is that he, he's, he's trying to get a sense of these people are looking to search something out. So not only are they gathering to see, 
they are getting to talk, and as they're using their words, they're trying to search for an answer. Something that we've really got to get more skilled at, and you know, this isn't a rebuke, this isn't, this isn't you know, a general condition of our church, I don't think, but something I think that's really good for all of us is the ability to get our meaning into the pool of ideas. You know when we're having a discussion and uh, you, you know, we think we've got the answer and then we're hearing other people bringing their answers, we've got to create a space where people can all put their ideas in. Because if we don't do that, we'll miss some of the ideas that are out there. I'm a great believer in the power of collective input. I think when you've got everybody's perspective on something in the room, suddenly you can arrive at much better answers than perhaps if there's just a couple of you that have got like a stranglehold on that. Is it safe for everyone to air their opinions? I've um, got to tell you, I'm going to share a little bit of a shocking story with you actually, you know, about some leaders don't really know how to facilitate healthy debate or as much debate as they should. There's the true story of the woman uh, in America who was booked into hospital uh, to have her tonsils taken out, uh, but she ended up having surgery on her foot. Um, now, in the court case that followed, it turned out that no less than seven members of the hospital connected with her case thought that they should say something and pipe up, but they found the senior surgeon they were working with really difficult to talk to. He was a bit of a, a notorious character for suppressing information and, and suppressing dialogue. Um, and so they failed to pipe up, and, and it didn't, he didn't welcome the debate. And, and, and various of them were sort of saying, um, I think this is like a tonsillectomy, it's not a foot thing. And you know, they were thinking it, but they didn't dare to say it. They, thought, they all thought they were wrong, and they didn't pipe up. And the result was that somebody had some surgery that they didn't need, and then it went to litigation. Failure to hold a proper dialogue and share and receive meaning has got to be responsible for masses and masses of unnecessary conflict in our lives, hasn't it? And in churches too. You know, it's just a truth, isn't it? Um, absolutely. Let me just keep you up. There's a few points in here. Keep making notes. Stay with me. Uh, so the first point here, uh, decide to consult Really important that you make that decision to come and have a chat. As Paul and Barnabas do, they go up to Jerusalem. Gather to consider. Get in a group, see things. Just have a look. Um, number three, permit much debate. Uh, number four, review all the facts. Review all the facts. From verse, uh, the second half of verse seven there, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you. That by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So they have all this debate. And then Peter stands up and he tells them four things that are factually true. And I think in a, a situation where you're trying to resolve uh, differences, where you're trying to, when, when you're earnestly trying to do that thing that Jesus has prayed for in John 17, 21, you need to get to the facts. It's so, so important that we're very brave and disciplined about, well, what's factually correct here? That's so important. You know, sometimes we, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself with this tendency to kind of just add a little bit on to make a point. 
Do you, know, do, you, do you know what I mean? You say, oh, no, that couldn't ever happen. When actually, well, it has happened a few times. Or you, you add something or you, you, you kind of stray a little bit, not because you're wanting to be a liar, but because you want to add emphasis. Now, we've got to be very brave and very disciplined and stick to what's factually true. And what I like about what Peter does is he reminds them of four truths, four facts. Let me take you through them. God made the choice that I would go and tell the Gentiles the gospel. Yeah, fact, true. No problem with that. The Gentiles believed. Yeah, fact. That's fact as well. God gave them the Holy Spirit just like he did for us Jews. Um, Yeah, that's a fact as well. There's nothing wrong with that. And then the final fact, God made no distinction between them and us. No problems with that at all, Peter. You've You've hit us with four factually true statements. Nobody in that meeting can argue with you there. In matters of discussion, facts are our friends. Good leadership always involves drilling down at some level or another to the kind of rock bed of facts because they help us so much. Now, what seems to have happened here is that when Peter presents those facts that God himself appeared to be making no distinctions between Jews and Gentiles or between circumcised and uncircumcised, if God is making no distinction, why should people? That's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful, and that comes from facts. That's, that comes from an environment in which discussion can happen, and then a bedrock, bedrock of actual factual truth, and then you go, oh, okay, no. If God isn't making a distinction, he's not worried about whether they're circumcised or not, so we probably shouldn't be either. That is helpful. That's powerful. Facts are our friends. Number five, compare and contrast. Uh, this, is a, this is a great thing. Uh, what you can do sometimes in a discussion is you can bring different things and you can do a comparison. You can say, okay, what about this versus what about that? And Peter does this. Uh, from verse 10, follow with me. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? In other words, the requirement for circumcision to try and produce spirituality, which it kind of doesn't actually. Verse 11, on the contrary, here we get the contrast, the, the compare and contrast. We believe that we are saved through the grace of Jesus, the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So there's a difference and a similarity. And Peter does this really wise thing. He does a compare and contrast. Did you ever have those teachers at school that set you essays that said, you know, compare and contrast uh, the imports and the manufacturing of Rotterdam versus Bremen or something? And you'd have to go away and do an essay and kind of understand, okay, which bits were true, which bits were different, which, which, which bits were separate. Some of those essays were a bit tedious, if I'm honest, uh, but they helped you to think in an analytical way about two different things. What Peter does is he reminds everyone, with the compare and contrast, circumcision is not a golden ticket to favor with God. It's just not anymore. Jesus has now come along, and we have uh, salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, if you're in here today, and you're thinking, oh, these people all seem to be quite well behaved, and there seems to be protocols here, I I need to just tell you that the only reason we're here is that we love Jesus. We love Jesus. We think he's absolutely the best thing ever. We've received him into our hearts by faith, and we've said, yeah, I want to follow you, Jesus. That's it. That's the common denominator in here. The rest of it is all up for grabs. We might be from every different nation under heaven. In fact, I think we are. We're all completely, completely different. But the one common denominator, the one, John 17, 21, the one thing is we all think that the Lord Jesus is our Lord and Savior and that he's absolutely worth following. And we've received him into our hearts, and our lives have been transformed as a result of what what has happened with that. Amen? 
Number six, listen to testimonies. So if all of that hasn't been enough, pause a minute and listen to what God is doing. Uh, And this is interesting. Uh, Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent. Readiness to listen, always good. And they listened to Paul, sorry, Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. If circumcision was a stumbling block for God, would he be moving in power among the Gentiles? No, he wouldn't. Therefore, the testimonies are super helpful because they show that God is completely fine with whether you're circumcised or not. And the testimonies really help that. So not only are facts our friends, testimonies are our friends as well. Really, really good. Number seven, evaluate against Scripture. Uh, We're getting there. Uh, We've only got two more after this. Evaluate against Scripture. Uh, From verse 13, after they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simeon, which was how he called Peter, uh, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. And then he jumps into Amos and Isaiah. He says, after these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord. Who makes these things known from long ago? And I think for me, this is the clincher. So we've had the discussion, we've had the willingness to talk, we've had space to put ideas into the pool, we've had testimonies, we've had facts, and now James hits it with, and by the way, you find it in Scripture all over the Old Testament that God wanted to include the Gentiles all along. And he quotes a couple of, I mean, he could have gone for many different places, but he goes for Amos, and he goes Isaiah. Let me share a very interesting example of how a pastor went back into Scripture to do exactly this as what James has done, but he found the opposite to be the case, and he stopped an activity. Very interesting. Um, In around 1905, 1906, 1907, there was a massive revival in Los Angeles in America. It's the birth of Pentecostalism, and it was uh, the Azusa Street Revival. And it's, in fact, what we trace our heritage to in the Pentecostal movement around the world. We are a Pentecostal denomination. Elim is a set of Pentecostal churches. And we trace our roots to that revival in Los Angeles at that time, one way or another. And you can get into the history of that. It's a fascinating read. Basically, God poured out his spirit in a massive amount for three to four straight years in this really kind of run-down backstreet church in the back streets of Los Angeles. And thousands and thousands of people received healings, got saved, uh, had outstanding miracles done. Loads of them started speaking in tongues for the first time. It was absolutely incredible. Now, something happened there, in addition to all the great things that were going on, that the pastor went back to Scripture and he said, "Uh, no, we're not going to do that because I can't find it in the Word. And he does the same thing that James does here. James goes to Scripture and he says, well, hold on a minute. God's wanted to include the Gentiles ever since the beginning. And Israel were my chosen instrument to do that. And they haven't done very well. But the Gentiles are included in the party. That's what James is basically saying. But what William Seymour said at the Azusa Street Mission was, um, he said, he, he put a stop to something. It's quite interesting. People started writing in tongues. I don't know if you know that that's possible, but apparently some people get like the, you know, they're they're in the influence of the Spirit and they start scribbling stuff and they think it might be writing in tongues. I mean, it's very, very strange and peculiar. Um, And there's a photograph, there's a great book by a guy called Cecil Robeck called The Azusa Street Mission, and there's a photograph of somebody who's attempted to write in tongues. And then there's even interpretation underneath. Now, William Seymour went back into the Bible and he said, 
where is the precedent for that? And he did loads and loads of searching, and in the end, he only came up with Daniel and the writing on the wall. Do you remember the finger with, uh, that came on the wall? And I think it might have been uh, King Belteshazzar. I've uh, probably got that wrong. But, uh, and, 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 and I think the interpretation wasn't rosy. It was, uh, by the way, your kingdom's coming to an end, and you might be dead by the end of tonight. You know, I mean, it's, it was a, you know, quite, a, quite a painful <laughs> bit of writing in tongues there, really. But because William Seymour could only find one instance of it, he said to all of his guys in the Azusa Street Mission, hmm, I don't really see a biblical precedent for what you're doing. I kind of get your heart, and totally fine for you to speak in tongues, but writing in tongues, okay, you're taking us over the edge here. And so he stopped it. He said, listen, we're not going to do that because I can't find enough biblical precedent for it. Now, that is wisdom, isn't it? When you're in a situation where some, one group wants to go this way, and actually there's another group that wants to go this way, what does the Bible actually say is there material in the Bible that can help us? And I think William Seymour did the right thing. That's the right call, isn't it? And in this case, James does the right thing. He makes a right call, absolutely spot on. And that, for me, is the clincher. Let's always get back to Scripture in the instance of differences. And let's really examine the Scripture hard. Uh, number eight, explain the solutions. Number eight, explain the solutions. From verse 19, follow with me. Therefore, in my judgment, uh, says James... We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God, but instead we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. We get to a point where it's decisions time. We need to arrive at a decision to this difficulty. And James does it very, carefully, uh, very skillfully. Sorry, He's got good leadership judgment, uh, and he decides that what's the bare minimum to make this work? And often I think sometimes we try to add lots of bells and whistles onto decisions, don't we? There's a real leadership skill in saying, no, what's the, what's the core here, and what are we going for? And, and all the other stuff is maybe peripheral, not quite so important. What's the, what's the essential thing uh, in this situation? And that's where the skill of knowing what to fight about versus what's irrelevant comes into play. And I think we need the Holy Spirit to really help us with that. I want to say to you that this happens only after all the other steps have taken place. This doesn't ha- Sometimes we want this right at the beginning of the process. I think that's not, not right. I, I think you have to go through all the, the journey here. But a leader will eventually make the call. And it's interesting that it's James, who's Jesus' half-brother, and he, by this time, 10 years on from Jesus' ministry and resurrection from the, from the dead, he is the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he makes the call, and he makes it right. Uh, that's, really, uh, that's, that's what he does. Uh, he explains the answer. He gives them a minimum set of requirements, and notice it does not include circumcision. It's not necessary. In that discussion's opinion, that council. They get to the answer. No, it's not necessary. And Christian men, ever since then, have been going, yes, thank you for that decision. Because circumcision is painful. Okay. Number nine. Last one. Action the decisions. Action the decisions. Um, let me take you through that. The, uh, the, from verse 22, then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who are among them to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, so they wrote a letter. That was the outcome. Uh, from, the op- from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. 
Since we have heard that some without our, without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly beloved Barnabas and Paul who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, and you notice how they've got the humility to include God and the Holy Spirit in the whole process, um, it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens upon you beyond these requirements. In other words, they've kept it slimline and focused on the core issues. That you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. It's not even like a complete prohibition. It's like you will do well. There's a wisdom in there. And then they say farewell at the end of the letter. Um, I think that James's wisdom and the wisdom of that group of people in coming to that decision was phenomenal. And it gives us a really great kind of template to be able to navigate difficulties or, or situations where conflict might arise. Let me just take you through those headings one more time. Decide to consult. So essential. If I was going to pick one, it's that first one. Decide to have a conversation. Please have a conversation. Uh, number two, gather to consider. So take a look. Get together and take a look. Permit much debate. Uh, number three. Number four, review all the facts because facts are our friends. Number five, compare and contrast if you need to. Number six, listen to testimonies. What God is doing is very powerful and persuasive. Number seven, check it out against scripture. Number eight, explain your solutions. And then number nine, action your decisions. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come on and back up. And uh, I'm going to suggest some responses um, to us this morning about unity um, and about how we can work on things. Three responses I'd like to bring to us today. The first one is this. Unity works a whole bunch better if you've built some friendships in the first place. It really does. I think unity kind of really struggles when you don't really know the people or you haven't put in the time in the friendships. So when the times are good, when things are going great, put in the time on the friendships. Build the fabric of those connections. Build that trust with all those people because over time that trust is going to pay dividends. Imagine it a bit like a bridge that you're putting out into the future. And then suddenly one day you all need to cross that bridge together. And if you've built that bridge in terms of the fabric of your connections, you'll get across the other side. If you haven't done that, that relational work, it can be so much harder to build the trust in the heat of the moment. So my recommendation is build some friendships when the times are good. That would be number one. Number two, um, I think it's really good if we uh, intentionally do some work with other churches. Uh, it's really nice to have Alan and Themi with us this morning because they are part of Good News for Everyone, which is the new name for the Gideons. And uh, over these recent weeks, we've been encouraging you to support the work of the Gideons in the Commonwealth Games. That com it's coming up soon. It's really, really soon. How many days is it to the Commonwealth Games? Does, somebody, does anybody know? So it's only a few days, what, a few weeks, isn't it? How, how, how long? 28 days or something. It's like a month away. It's coming really soon, Okay. What, what Good News for Everyone are doing is they are working with uh, the games organizers to be able to hand out Bibles and hand out tracts. It's an absolutely awesome uh, initiative. And the way you can, this is the last Sunday you can join in with that, or the end of the month, I think, is like Thursday is the official, 
Thursday's the last day. Is that right, Themi? You can sign up downstairs. There's a form they need you to fill in, and then you can join them and hand out Bibles to all the crowds coming into the stadiums. What a great, great thing to do. But you see, that is an expression of oneness. That's not our ministry. That's us saying, actually, good news for everyone. We're onto something here. Let's support them. Let's really help them out here because this is great. Go and get one of those forms from our info point downstairs. You can do that. You know, this extends in all sorts of directions. You could uh, pray for the eternal wall of answered prayer. You could, when you're on holiday this summer, when you're on holidays, go, be encouraging to the pastor there in whichever church you go to. Say, hey, come on, you're doing a great job. It's great to visit you today. In fact, I've, I think some people visiting from Malta near the back uh, that I said hi to, hi to. I think they're right at the back. That's really nice for them to come and be part of us, you know, during their holiday here. So be encouraging to any churches that you visit. Last thing I want to do, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask you to do something quite out, out there, okay? Trust me here. Um, trust me, when the, says the pastor. Trust me. I want you to trust me. There is a pastor in our city who is doing a fantastic job. Um, and it's Calvin, Calvin Young from uh, Mount Zion Community Church. And I want you to do something for me. I want to blitz him today with loads and loads of five-star reviews about his church. You know, the world looks at Google reviews, and he goes, oh, okay, that church has got 200 five-star reviews. They must be doing something right. Well, let me tell you, they are doing something right, and I'd like to bless him this afternoon by texting him and saying, hey, mate, you've got another 100 five-star reviews on your church. That is easy for us to do as a church, isn't it? Now, come on, get your phones out, point it at the QR code, and give the guy a five-star review because he is an awesome pastor. He's the pastor who is doing this work on the Time for Change stuff. He's really pioneering that. Um, he's, uh, he led that massive meeting that we had in October last year at the Blues Ground. He's just a super guy. He's, an, he's a statesman for God. He really is. I really like Calvin. He's a great guy. Um, now, you can do this with lots of different Christian organizations. I really encourage you to do it. But I'd love it if we could just blitz him with some, some reviews today. Just give him a five-star review and say, hey, great pastor, great church. So you don't even have to say anything. It's just a really nice thing to do for another church. And I've spoken to him, and I said, hey, Calvin, do you mind if we do this? And he said, no, go right ahead, of course. Um, and then I've said to him, don't you do it back to us. You do it to another church. And hopefully we do a pay it forward thing. You know how that, you remember that film, pay it forward, and you're just blessing and blessing? Let's, I've asked him, hey, why don't you select a church in your congregation and then bless them in turn. And then maybe in a couple of years' time, one afternoon, I'll be going, what on earth is going on with my Google? Because I'm getting loads of five-star reviews at BCC. That would be great. I'm not doing it for that reason. I just think it would be super to bless him. We're going to sing right now. And, uh, and then we're going to suggest some, some prayer responses as well. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, worship team. Bless you guys. <laughs>